Well, thank you all for coming. I know it's school holidays and it's quite a few of us away on holidays taking a break. Please pray for them. So it's an unsafe world out there. It really is for a whole heap of reasons. I was just watching the news the other day and last night again about those, those trapped kids in the, in, the, in the caves, still trapped. And the parents are sitting up the top there, you know, waiting. I can't imagine what that would be like. And then, of course, there's a lot of us who are sick. A lot of families have got this terrible cold that's going around. It just hangs on and hangs on. So please pray for them as well, especially the ones with the little kitties. Really hard with little kitties and they've got a cold. What a passage that we've just read together. Unbelievable, isn't it? When you think about it. Just like sometimes we can take the uh, offering, uh, sorry, the, the sacraments for granted because we do it every week. We, 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 we forget how important they are and thank you Andrew for reminding us to do that. Sometimes we can do the same thing with the, the death of Jesus Christ. With, with that old rugged cross that we love to sing about. How often do we think about it during the week? It's good sometimes to just reflect on what's written down by God, recorded by God for us, to think about, meditate on, to be reminded of. Do you realise that the, the birth of Jesus Christ is not recorded in all the Gospels? And neither of all of, all of his miracles recorded in all the Gospels, all four of them. You know there's a but coming, don't you? Hmm. But the death of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion, the trial, all four Gospels. That's not a coincidence. can't be, can it? Very important. And that's why as, as elders we thought we would continue this series in John and try and focus on these last week, I suppose, of, of the Lord's life. It is important. It's vital, not just for you and me, but for the whole world. This is when it all happened. This is when God's plan, what was in God's mind he wanted to do, the redemption of mankind, this is when it happened. That's why it's in all four Gospels. That's why we're called to, to preach the gospel, to take it out to the, to the needy world, to proclaim the gospel. Very important. And hopefully this morning as we continue to look at and focus on, on the Lord here, we'll learn something of great importance to us as individuals and as, as Chris prayed as a church. Last week... Uh, Rob started this little series off and the Lord was in the garden and he took us more or less right up to uh, where we are today and the Jewish leaders determined right back from John chapter 11 which is, you know, years before that they needed to get rid of this man called Jesus. What a pain was he going around telling people what God wants from God's people. What a nuisance he was, pointing out the hypocrisy in the religious system that was being espoused by the Pharisees and all the priests and so forth. A real pain he was. 
They didn't want to just get rid of him. They wanted to kill him. That's what it tells us in John 11. But they had a little, this little problem, this little problem. You see, under occupation, and they were being, uh, Israel was under occupation by the Roman Empire, very vast empire at that time. The Romans would not allow them to just execute people willy-nilly. They had to get permission to execute prisoners. They couldn't do it without approval. And so even though when they were at, uh, at um, Annas' house and at Caiaphas' house, they had already determined, we're going to kill this bloke, this man Jesus claims to be God, that's enough, that's enough for us, he's gone. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it without permission from the governor. So here they are at Pilate's palace, or the palace where Pilate was residing at the time. Off to see Pilate. The trial of Jesus is an interesting study because you really can't get the full uh, picture unless you look at all the four Gospels because not, all, not, not any of the four Gospels gives us a complete account of what happened. As, as I think Rob mentioned last week about this last week of the Lord Jesus, you can't just read one Gospel and get the full picture. It's interesting that the Gospels are written by two eyewitnesses, Matthew and John. They were there. They were there. They heard it. They saw it. They felt it. Mark, they tell us that Mark wrote the Gospel sort of verbatim from Peter. He he wrote it on behalf of Peter. Peter was there as well. Luke looks like, he looks back like a historian and tries to fill in the gaps. But it's interesting, isn't it, that you've got these four different aspects of the Gospels, of the Lord's life. So here the trial, the trial of Jesus is very important. It's in all four Gospels. Now what's a trial? As far as the law goes, it's the determination of a person's guilt or innocence by due process of the law, whichever law it might be, you know, like the Jewish law, the Roman law, Australian law. It's due process of the law to determine a person's guilt or innocence. And then the second meaning that's in the dictionary is the act of trying, testing or putting to the proof of something. So you can have a trial to prove something, not just innocence or guilt, but to prove a claim or something like that. And then the third uh, meaning is to test. Sometimes you have a trial to test something. Interesting, isn't it? Three, three, three different uh, definitions of what a trial is. So in verse 28, we have, it says there, then the, the Jews lead Jesus to, uh, from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor called Pilate. Now these tri- this trial is interesting because just like the Jewish trial of Jesus, it came in three phases. We have, we have the Lord appearing before Annas in chapter 18, verses 12. He appeared before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin late at night, which was illegal uh, in Matthew 26, and therefore they had to hastily in the morning, the next morning, get the whole council together to actually condemn this man to death. The three phases. 
And it's interesting also that there are three phases to the Roman trial before Pilate. Did you realise that, that the Lord appeared before Pilate on three occasions? Three occasions. John 18, 28. The second appearance was on uh, in John 18, uh, 39. After seeing Herod, now you're not going to pick that up from this gospel, I'll explain that to you in a minute. And then the third appearance is in John 19, uh, verse 6. Pontius Pilate, you know, this, this event made the man, sort of infamously, but made the man. He would never have been remembered in history if it wasn't for this trial. Pontius Pilate. He was the, he was the uh, governor of this uh, area called Judea, uh, under the emperor Tiberius. He wasn't liked, not by anybody. The Jews didn't like him. The, the, uh, the, the religious leaders didn't like him. He, when you look at his life and, and you get different theologians giving us an appraisal of him, they thought he was a very indecisive man, a weak man, a compromising man. You know, he was a great politician. He would have fitted right in to you know, politics here in Australia or anywhere. He was just a real politician. He really was. And in, and in this account here that we've read together, he was looking for a loophole, wasn't he? You know, how can I please the, the religious leaders? How can I make sure that you know, I don't do nothing wrong against Caesar? The man's innocent, got to satisfy the law. He was looking for a way out, wasn't he? Other than doing the right thing. Looking for a way out other than doing the right thing. Some theologians say he was a coward. He was afraid of the crowd. Wouldn't stand up to them. He was the governor. He had, he had all those legionnaires, you know. He was afraid of the Lord. I don't know if you picked that up, but when 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 he when he was when he said that he, when it says here he was afraid, the Lord was beaten, bleeding, with spittle hanging off him. He was afraid of the Lord. And he was afraid to do the right thing. He was afraid to be a man of integrity. He was the, the law of the land and he wasn't willing to uh, do the right thing. In spite of all that, there's some very interesting insights that Pilate gives to us. Very interesting insights. Do you know that if you look at the four Gospels that um, Pilate pronounces Christ innocent four times innocent not guilty no charge against him now different phrases but it means the same thing and at the end he wrote a sign didn't he to put on top of the cross it's important to remember too that this is the Passover season as Chris pointed out and you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to look at that and say, how could they be doing this? What hypocrisy. They don't want to go into the palace because it will make them unclean and then they can't be partakers of the, of the Passover, they're defiled, but they're happy to condemn an innocent man. They knew he was innocent. 
Religious leaders have been hypocrites right from the word go, haven't they? Unfortunately, it's still true today. That's why, brothers and sisters, we must rely on the word of God. If your leaders are following the word of God, by all means, follow them. If not, follow the word of God. So, there we are. The Lord is standing before Pilate on trial. And in verse 29, he says, uh, Pilate says to the crowd, because they wouldn't come in, you know, he has to go out to them. What What a sign of weakness that is. But anyway, he says, what charges are you bringing against this man? Because they had to be serious charges to be to go before the governor to ask for an execution. Serious charges. You know, when you read the four Gospels and you do a little bit of uh, reading as to how things worked in those days, they didn't really expect much resistance from Pilate. You know, you don't read of... of uh, Stephen having a second chance. I mean, they, they did stone Stephen for a similar thing, for being blasphemous. In fact, I, I believe, I personally feel that they were looking for just a, a rubber stamp. Here's this bloke, Jesus. You know, we want him to be, uh, just, we just want an approval to put him to death. It wasn't going to happen though this time, was it? Again, we have to look to Luke 23, verses 2, for what the actual charges were. Interesting charges. They said, he led the nation astray. We're talking about the Lord Jesus here, okay? He opposed paying the tribute or taxes to Caesar. (sighs) Tax evasion, that's serious, isn't it? And then they said, he claimed to be the Messiah, the Christ and King. And they thought that was a false claim. Blasphemous. It's also very interesting. This is why it's good to listen to the speaker, but read God's word and trust that. Have a listen to this. The Jewish law, the Jewish law required uh, death by stoning if you blasphemed God. The Jewish law, get, yeah, the Jewish law required death by stoning if you blasphemed. Right back, very early days in the in the history in the in the in the writing of the Bible, it said the Messiah had to be hung from a tree. The Lord Himself said He had to be lifted up. The scripture predicted and said the Lord would be crucified. I can just imagine the people writing and reading back then thinking, how is that going to work? We don't crucify. The Jews didn't crucify anybody. Wasn't their way of capital punishment. Stoning was what they did, as we've read and we see on many occasions in, in the scriptures. But God determined beforehand that the saviour of the world would be hung on a cross and crucified. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that God orchestrated this. 
I personally, again, believe he knew this was going to happen. And so he wrote about it. He warned us. He told us. He predicted it for us. It's interesting that in all three charges, leading the nation astray, not guilty. What did he do? He tried to unite the nation, didn't he? Bring it back to God. Bring it back to to following the scriptures. Getting rid of the the hypocrisy in the religious system and and, and honouring what God had written down, how they're to treat each other and worship God and care for each other. That's what he tried to do. He opposed paying the tribute to Caesar, the taxes. What did the Lord say about taxes? This is why I pay taxes. The Lord said, I have to. He says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. They asked him about that. And that's what he said. You know, you need hospitals, you need schools, pay your taxes. And the third claim, not guilty as well. The Lord never went round claiming to be the Messiah. He never went round claiming to be the king. But he was, wasn't he? He tried to make people aware that, hey, you know that prophecy that written by so-and-so, you know? Notice anything similar happening now, you know? The blind being made to see, the lame being able to walk. Ring any bells. He never, even in this account, he just confirmed the conclusions that people came after viewing the evidence. Yeah, that's what happened. Did, did you, were you following the reading? That's what he said. He says, um, is that your own idea? You are saying it right. You are right in saying. So not guilty. So in verse 36, there's a little phrase. Verse 33, there's a little uh, Sorry, sorry, sorry. My mistake. Start again. So from verse 33 to verse 36, we have this, the start of the conversation that, that the Lord makes. And we have the Lord actually standing before Pilate. There's a little phrase that comes up uh, in, in the next couple of chapters. And it's a little phrase that's in the King James, Behold the man. And that's what I'd like us to do this morning. Behold the man on trial. And next week, Behold the man on the cross. We want to look at him this morning, focus on him, and see what we can learn. Three times... Um, it, it, this little phrase comes up. It doesn't come up in the NIV. It, that's, a, that's a King James Version. But it's there in, um, in uh, 19 verse 5 where he says, Here is the man. Very poor trans. I like the NIV. I really do. But that's a very poor rendering of the word. The Greek word is actually to see, to behold. And it's an exclamation of calling to the attention of, Hey, have a look at this. That's what it is saying. And maybe when they were looking at translating the NIV into the NIV, they thought, you know, behold's an old word, old word. But I can't think of a better word. I guess if you were to do it today, you would say, check it out. That's not really appropriate either, isn't it? I think behold is good. It's a good word. Behold the man. The testimony 
of this man is amazing. Didn't say much, but his testimony is amazing. The evidence in support of who he, who he is, the proof that he was indeed who he claimed to be and what he claimed to do is, has a practical application this morning for you and me. That's, that's our practical application we're going to get out of this this morning. I hope that's what we do. How to be an obedient disciple. I'd like us to think of this. When we stand before people, not on trial, but when we stand before people at school, at work, within our families, could they say, behold a disciple of Jesus? Behold a child of God? Behold a Christian? Look at this person. Could they say that for us? I loved your testimony, Barbara. I really did. I don't know if you picked it up, but there was a few people that really impacted in Barbara's early life as a Christian. That's a testimony. That's what a testimony is. That, that Rob, Rod, wasn't it? The Sunday school teacher. Behold a disciple. Behold a lover of Jesus. You can see it. The evidence is overwhelming. Pilate asked Jesus a question, are you the king of the Jews? Now this is really interesting because it's, 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 it's a question in all the four Gospels as well. Are you the king of the Jews? And you know, when you look at the answers that the Lord gives in, in all the four Gospels, you realise that Pilate saw what the nation didn't see. Well, then you are a king. You are a king. The nation rejected him as their king. They didn't see it or didn't want to see it. It's really sad. And when I was reading this a little while ago, because I knew I was speaking on it, verse 30, have a look at verse 35 of chapter 18. Very sad verse. Very sad verse. Pilate replied, It's your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. That's sad. That's really sad. He came unto his own. That's a prophecy, yeah? And what happened? He came unto his own and they received him not. They handed him over to be put to death, exterminated. That's what they were hoping. And, 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 and Pilate says, what is it you've done? What is it? What could you have done? And then we don't get this in uh, in the uh, this thing, but the, this uh, version, the uh, this account rather, this gospel. We have to go to Luke twenty three to see. He sends he sends the Lord to Herod because in the conversation, they uh, Herod this uh, Pilate discovers, hey, this man's a Galilean. 
Ah, I'll send him to Herod. He's Herod's responsibility. You know, not my portfolio. You, you've heard that so many times. Oh, no, that's somebody else's response, not my responsibility. So he was, he was Pilate, hoping to push this situation because he started to think, this is not an easy cut and dry. This is not an open and shut case, right? This is a hard case to work out. And he's getting the feeling that maybe this man's not worthy of death. So pass the buck off to Herod. When you read that little passage in Luke 23, if you, if you want to turn to it, it's verse 6 of verse chapter 23. This is what it says. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was Galilean. When he heard that, Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction. He sent him to Herod, who also was in Jerusalem at the time. And then it tells you that he stood before Herod and Herod questioned him and all the rest of it and did a few other things that weren't pleasant. And then it says, Pilate, verse 13, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, and he said to them, you brought this man as one who has incited the people to rebel. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for the charge against him, neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you see, he has done nothing to deserve death. And so then in verse 39 of uh, John here, he says, so would you like me to release him? Would you like me to release him? They had an opportunity, didn't they? You know, have a think about it. You know, oh, you know, he really didn't do anything that bad. You know, crucify him, crucify him. And in that crowd, you know, the crowd wasn't the same crowd that that claimed him uh, as, as as Hosea when he rode into. Um, uh, the triumphant entry there on the cult. It wasn't the same crowd. These were mainly religious people, religious leaders. Maybe a few ringings, you know, when something's happening, there's always a little few sticky beaks that were interested in having a look. But most of them were, were the chief priests and the, and, the, and the Pharisees and the religious people. And they were saying, yeah, crucify him, crucify him, mob, a mob. They weren't looking at the evidence, were they? They weren't examining the evidence. They weren't listening to what was coming out. Not even Herod. Now, Herod was not a nice man. He was not a good ruler. wasn't a good king. Even Herod thought, stay away from this. So convinced was Pilate of the Lord's innocence, it tells us there, He sought to free him in a number of ways. First of all, the good old prisoner exchange. Barabbas! Or the Lord Jesus. Miracle worker, healer, feeder of 5,000, you know? What do you reckon? They chose Barabbas. What else can I do, says Pilate? I'll flog him. I'll whip him. Public flogging hoping to perhaps get a bit of public sympathy, you know, have him flogged, and then he presents him again to the crowd. He says, let him go. Crucify him. Now, I want you to picture this. Most of us, I'm not saying all, but most of us have seen the passion of Christ 
That movie upset me. You know, finally sort of having a visual picture of what the Lord looked like at that stage. This is, this is the, who was presented to the crowd and they still wanted to get rid of this man. And then there was the public humiliation, you know, the crown of thorns, you know, the king with the purple robe, crown of thorns, you know. So there was the prisoner exchange, a public flogging and the public humiliation and they still wanted to get rid of him. And, and you know, in verse 4, verse four of, of chapter 19, Pilate again states very clearly, I find no fault in him, no fault in him. And he says in verse 5, Behold this man, have a look at him, whipped, mocked, humiliated, and he's done nothing, I can't find anything. What more do you want me to do? And the answer came back again, crucify him. You know, it's hard to comprehend that, isn't it? It really is. At some point, your heart would have gone out for this bloke that had just taken this awful beating. Well, you know, he didn't actually kill anybody. You know, quite often on the radio, on 3AW, when they talk about controversial things, you know, they say, well, I didn't, nobody got killed, or I didn't kill anybody, he didn't kill anybody. It's as if that's the thing. He did no, he did no harm to anyone. He went about doing what? God's recorded it for us, doing good. Doing good. The scrutiny of this man called Jesus at this trial is just unbelievable. He was scrutinised by the religious leaders and they couldn't find any fault. His spiritual life was scrutinised. He was scrutinised by the legal system. He had broken no law, no rule, no regulation and he was scrutinised personally. No moral problem with this man called Jesus. You know, I feel sorry for Pilate in verse 6. Have a look at verse 6. Here's what he says. He, he, after all that, he says, he says, you know, verse 6, it's the chief priests, you know, say, crucify him, crucify him. But Pilate answers, says, you take him and crucify him. You know, because I mean, you know, even though we said he wasn't a nice man, you know, it's it's not easy to kill or condemn to death an innocent person. And I believe that 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 Pilate he was convinced this man is innocent. What, what what is he doing here? I find no cause or no no basis for a charge against him. How would you and I fare, brothers and sisters, if we were in that position? Under that that much scrutiny. It's interesting, the Lord's composure here. There was no pleading, I'm innocent, I didn't do it, let me go, please let me go. There was none of that. He didn't say, you know, I did not do that thing, I actually told them to pay their taxes. Didn't do that either. Didn't actually tell them what happened. He just didn't do anything. Didn't say anything. 
He didn't call for a mistrial. You know, the, you know that information about you know being a king and being the Christ. Well, they thought it was false, but it's actually true. He didn't cause for a mistrial because the charges were bogus. The obedient servant of God knew what he had to do. He knew God's purpose for him and he was willing to obey God's commands in spite of what was up ahead and what people were saying and what people were thinking and what people were accusing him of. That's the mark, a characteristic of an obedient servant. How would you and I fare, brothers and sisters, if we were under that much scrutiny? How would we fare? Because that's, that's what I'd like to bring before you this morning. A testimony. A bit different from a trial. A testimony in a dictionary says, as far as the law goes, is the statement or declaration of a witness under oath. So it's important. It's also the evidence in support of a fact or a statement. It's proof. I've been reflecting on my testimony of late. I really have. The synonyms for testimony is demonstration, confirmation, illustration. I haven't got time to read 1 Samuel, but in 1 Samuel, I was looking at 1 Samuel for a different reason. I, I got to the end of looking at Samuel's life and I just read on a little bit further and I discovered this. Samuel stood before the people. This is what he said. I'll just read you this little bit. Samuel said to all, the, all of Israel, I have listened to everything you have said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and grey. And my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from your youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes. If I have done any of these, I will make it right. He put himself on trial before the whole nation. Here's what they said. You have not cheated us. You have not oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you and also his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. They swore before the Lord that Samuel did nothing wrong. What a testimony. Hey? What a testimony at the end of your life, after all those years of service. Could I do a Samuel? Could I stand before you people or anyone else? Could I, could I do that? Would I have the courage to do that? Could you be a Samuel? Could you do that? Very important, brothers and sisters. What are we going to leave behind? Testimonies of other believers live on. They inspire us. Do they not? Yes. You, you've heard me ad nauseum tell you 
about old men who are now at home with the Lord, what they've done for me, what they've taught me. I mean, you know you're sick of hearing dictionary definitions, but that has served me so well. There have been men who have showed me how to read the Scriptures, how to study the Scriptures, how to pray. That's their legacy. That's their testimony. They're gone. I'm here. I've been challenged. I have been challenged. What is my testimony? Are you challenged by that? That's what people are going to see. The Lord said very little at his trial, but the evidence was overwhelming of who he was. Brothers and sisters, you claim to belong to Christ. You claim to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. You claim to love him. You should be striving to be like him. Pardon me for doing that. Striving to be like him. That's what it says in the scriptures. Can I stand and do a Samuel before you? I don't know. I'm a grandfather. I'm very proud of that. I love it. As much as I enjoy playing with the kids and doing all those sort of things, I'd like to be like Rob Day's granddad. Do you remember Rob Day? There you are. Change that young man's life. I love that testimony, Rob. I hope that my grandkids can say the same thing one day if the Lord doesn't come. That's what it's about, brothers and sisters, the testimony that you leave behind. Time's gone. I'm going to leave a little bit out because, unfortunate for you, I've been asked to speak again next week. So I'm going to add a little bit uh, later on next week. But I just want to finish off by looking at what Pilate does at the very end. He is scared. Why? Because they said, the crowd said... We have a law, and according to the law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. And he was scared of that. Why? Listen to this. You know, the Romans and the Greeks, they had myths about the gods coming down to earth. Eh? They had myths, and this man was a Roman. So it wasn't a strange thing to hear that this man, this man standing before me who I've just beaten or not physically personally but ordered to have beaten and about to crucify him he could actually be a God little did he realise that he was God, manifesting flesh, that's how the gospel starts brothers and sisters so this is who is, is standing before Pilate. He was scared. And in Matthew 27, 19, Pilate's wife, she had this dream about this man. Don't have anything to do with him. I've had terrible things happening during the night. But the last thing that the Lord says to Pilate is very interesting because it shows you, brothers and sisters, that he reveals his faith in the Father. Again, the Lord is standing, robe, purple robe, bruises on his face, crown of thorns, back laid bare. And he's standing before Pilate. He says, that's okay, I have confidence in my father. 
and I surrender to his will. Behold the man, brothers and sisters. Behold the man. That is the characteristic of an obedient servant. The marks and the characteristics of an obedient disciple of God. And such was the testimony of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 12 that Pilate, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Next week we'll continue on and see what happens next. We know what happens next, but we're going to look at it in a little bit of detail. I I hope this morning has challenged you to think about your Lord and Saviour, his example that he left, his testimony that he was able to just give without saying much. We're to be Christ-like, as Chris pointed out. What does a real Christian look like? You know, What does Jesus look like? Next week, there will be a gospel presentation. I'm going to speak about the cross and why the Saviour had to go and die there. If you have a friend who you would like them to hear the gospel, proclaim very simply but very clearly, next week is the week you should bring them. I'll try and be very simple, but I'll be very blunt as to why this man Jesus had to be nailed to a wooden cross and lifted up. May the Lord bless. You got to close your prayer.